Well, hello, church. I want to welcome all of you across our network. And can I just say, I'm glad you're here. Because this is not a typical weekend. This is baptism weekend. It's a time of celebration, and I love these moments. See, what we celebrated at Easter was the beginning of the greatest adventure we can ever embark on. One with inherent freedom. Freedom that only comes from Jesus. And baptism is one of the ways that we celebrate that freedom. It's a key moment in the life of our church. And that as we worship, as we hear personal stories, as we witness believer baptism, we celebrate that we are free to live in Jesus. Free to live. In fact, it was last week that we started this conversation that we're calling free, and we focused on the reality that we're free to love. And with the help of that missionary Paul, his words in 2 Corinthians 5, we leaned into this conversation. Here's what he said. He said, for Christ's love compels us. Now, Christ's love is demonstrated on the cross. We know what love is because of what he did on the cross. So for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he, that's Jesus, died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. This is a beautiful, wonderful, incredible thing. But the inherent question that comes out of this is how? How? How do we live in that freedom? Which is why last weekend, we lean into understanding how we live in that freedom, how, how we live changes when we understand the freedom that Jesus gives. And so this is going to be a review for those of you who were here last week, and, and it'll be new for those of you who weren't. If you want more information, you can check it out online. The whole thing's there. But let me just do a quick summary, and let me invite you just to follow where I'm at on the board, and the whole thing will make sense in a couple of moments. You see, God created us, and he created others. Out of his love for us and his love, inherent love, he created us and he created others. And he created us to love him and to love others. Love is what explains everything about what God does. Why he creates, why he created a, a way to resolve the problem with sin, why he gives us eternal life, because his love is eternal. He, he created us to love him and to love others. Now, here's the cool thing about it. He wants to be known. For us to love him in return. So he makes himself known. We can know God. He reveals himself by creation. He reveals himself through his spirit. He reveals himself through his word, the Bible. And when he makes himself known, well, then we experience him who is himself love. So when we know him, we love him. The Bible says we love because he first loved us. So when we know God, we can love God. But then when we love God, well, we trust him. This 1 Corinthians 13 says love always trusts. So when we know God, we love him, and we love him, we trust him, and when we trust him, we obey him. We do what he says. When we don't do what he says and we don't obey, it means we don't trust, and that means we don't love, which means we don't really know him. But when we know him, we love him, and we love him, we trust him, we trust him, we obey him. And Jesus says, when you obey my commands, then I will show myself to you, and now we get to know him more. And we know him more, we love him more. And trust him more and obey him more. And we continue in this unending, deepening cycle of relationship with God. And that's how we live in the freedom that Jesus gives us. Free to love and free to live with God. But he didn't just create us to love him. He created us to love others. So here's what happens. When he makes himself known, he reveals his love to us and through us. He expresses his love to us and through us so that he makes his love known to us. And then he makes his love known through us, which positions us to love others as we risk. We risk in relationship. We risk with others as a demonstration of his love through us. 
And when we risk with others, it positions us to serve them, to meet real needs, to come alongside them, to, to want more for them than from them. This is where we do second gap ministry. And, and as we serve people, then we get to know them. We, we understand their hurts and their pains, the, the brokenness in their life, their real needs. And when we know them, we love them. <laughs> And we love them more, now we risk for them more, and we serve them more, and then we know them more and love them more, and we continue in that cycle as well. But the deal is, these two circuits are not independent circuits. If, if we love God but don't love others, we really don't love God. If we try to love others without the love of God, it's impossible. This is too complex, too convoluted, too difficult for us to truly love people without the love of God being the source by which we do it. These depend on one another. They're connected to one another. And it centers around the ability to handle ourselves, to die to self. If we don't die to self, then we live in neither circuit, and we end up just in a self-serving center, which has very little value in Ripple, because it's just about us. But here's the wonderful thing. <laughs> Probably the greatest proof and greatest evidence that the tomb is empty is how we love others, especially those who don't agree with us. It's how we love them. And if we don't love others, it means we don't have the love of God in us. We are, we are free to live, we're free to love, and this authentic, holistic love, that love, that authentic love, leads to faithful risk. So when, when Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, he says, you, you no longer live for yourselves, that's not a diminishing thing. That's a positioning thing. When he says that, he's not diminishing us. He's positioning us. It, it, when we re recognize Jesus as Savior and we receive him as Lord, everything changes about how we live. We actually become co-workers with the divine. In another letter to the church in Corinth, Paul wrote these words. He said, we are co-workers in God's service. Co-workers. A fellow laborers. We're not just business partners. We're actually full-fledged members of the family of God. So when we recognize Jesus as Savior, we receive him as Lord, everything changes about the way we live. And we ultimately the, receive this freedom, and the freedom that God gives allows us to live for him. We could maybe say it this way, that love for God leads us to live for God. These are your first feelings if you're tracking in your note guide today. I encourage you to use that as we study the word of God. Love for God leads us to live for God. So when we understand his sacrifice, we understand his love, we return that love, but then we actually live for him, and we do so out of deep gratitude. Gratitude. It reminds me of a, a true story of a, a man in his later years. He'd gotten older, his shoulders were now humped, his eyebrows were bushy, his features were lean, but once a week he would walk down to a Florida beach carrying a bucket. And he would walk up onto a pier and walk out on that dock. And at the end of that dock, he would take handfuls of shrimp out of that bucket and toss them on the dock. Just handfuls of shrimp. Well, out of nowhere, seagulls would come and land all over the place. Some would land on his shoulder, some on his hat, and they would eat up that shrimp. But even after that shrimp was gone, those birds and that old man lingered. Just an old man with some seagulls. Now, you may wonder why he would do that each week? What would compel him to weekly go and do that? Why would he go and waste good seafood out on the dock with those seagulls? Well, you have to understand, this man was Eddie Rickenbacker. And Eddie Rickenbacker was a famous World War II pilot whose plane went down in the ocean in 1942. And nobody expected Eddie or his eight-man crew to survive. 
but they were to get on, able to get onto two rafts and survive for 30 days. They fought thirst, they fought the sun, they fought sharks. The, some of the sharks were nine feet long and their rafts were only eight feet long. But what nearly killed them was starvation because after eight days, their rations were gone. Now, Eddie himself later would write, he said that each day, even on those rafts, they would have a devotional time and a prayer time. And one of those days after that devotional prayer time, he leaned back in the raft, pulled his hat down over his eyes to block out the sun and get some sleep when he felt something on his head. And very quickly, he realized it was a seagull. He, he knew that they were hundreds of miles away from land, and he also knew that if he didn't get that bird, they would die. Soon, everybody on the two rafts were silent but staring at that bird. Nobody moved. And then Eddie quickly grabbed the bird, and with thanksgiving, they ate it. And they used its intestines as bait to catch fish, and they survived. Why would Eddie go once a week at sunset out into a dock carrying a bucket? It's because he never forgot the sacrifice of that unexpected guest. He took that bucket full of shrimp out on that dock once a week to say, thank you, thank you, thank you. When Paul said, for Christ's love compels us, it's a similar compulsion to what drove Eddie to go out on that dock each Friday night in Florida. Compels literally means leaves me no choice. And we understand the sacrifice of Jesus. It compels us. And love for God leads us to live for God. If you've got a Bible, I'd love for you to grab it and, let, and head to Romans chapter 6. I want to take a few moments to talk about how we live in the freedom that this love provides. So we're in Romans chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. It'll be up on the screen. It's also in your note guide. But we're picking up in Paul's writing after he wrote about how uh, death came through one man, Adam, and life came through Jesus Christ. And we're picking up in Romans chapter 6, starting with verse 1, looking at how, how we live in the freedom that this love provides. So let's take a look and kind of follow along with me. Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. We, through Jesus, get to live new lives. We can have our own spiritual death and resurrection we get to live new lives. Jesus' sacrifice, his death and resurrection, leads us to have a new life. And it'd be silly for us to keep living in the old life when we can live in the new life. Because when we become one with God, we become one in purpose, and that is to serve him, to honor him. But we have to die to self. We have to die first. We have to die, not, not physically die, but spiritually die. We have to die to self, be crucified with Christ. We have to let go of our old life to be able to live into the new life. Yet a lot of people live life professing faith in Jesus while never living into the new life fully or letting go of the old life completely. And then they get frustrated with God because of the lack of freedom in their life, but it's not his fault, it's ours. Because we cannot live until we die. 
do this with me if you would. I want you to just visualize or think of the place you would move to if you were to move. The ideal place to live, if you were to move right now, where would you go? Maybe it's someplace local, you got a house in mind, or maybe it's someplace more in your mind's eye. Maybe it's along a river, along a lake, maybe further away in the mountains or at a beach. I just want you to visualize, if you were to move, where would you move to? You got that in your head? Bentendorf, you with me? All right, here we go. All right, what would it take to get there? See, regardless of where it is, it's going to take a level of commitment. But then it's also going to take a price, a payment, a sacrifice, a, some kind of payment. Beyond that, it'll require an element of packing, where you pack up the good stuff, and then you have a yard sale to get rid of all the junk that you accumulated in your other place. But beyond packing is the reality that you got to go. So there's a commitment, there's a price, there's a packing, and then there's a going. In fact, let me just do a quick assessment. All right, so what I'd like you to do is just pick one of your hands, put them up high. Just raise, everybody raise up one hand, get it up there, kind of wave, wave at a neighbor. Bentendorf, wave at us over here at Rock Island. Okay, keep your hand up. Everybody keep your hand up. All right, if you have lived only in one house your entire life, never moved, put your hand down. Oh, that's awesome. There's some blessing in that, beauty in that. Okay, so the rest of you have, have moved at least once. So if you have moved three times or less, put your hand down. Three times or less. Okay, five times or less, hand down. Ten times or less, put your hand down. Now, those of you who still have your hand up have moved more than ten times. And you, above all of us, know what it means to commit, pray the price, pack, and move. Great, put your hands down. Thank you very much. Listen, Beth and I, my wife Beth and I, moved 13 times in the first 11 years of our marriage. Yeah, buddy. Most of that was thanks to Uncle Sam, but not all of it. But every time we moved, we didn't do a good job of sorting through our junk and moving forward into the new. We actually would pack up boxes and move. And so over time, we just started moving boxes to one place to the other, never even opening them. We just moved a box from one place to the next, adding boxes. And I got to a point, I wanted to implement a family rule that if we came across a box that hadn't been opened in two years, we just pitch it. Just throw it away. We clearly don't need it. Never got to implement that rule. But we didn't... We, <laughs> We just packed up stuff and moved along we didn't need to, to take with us. But here's the deal. You know if you move, you got to make the commitment. you got to pay the price. you got to pack up the good stuff, leave the junk, and then you got to go. So let me ask you, when you move, can you still live in the old house? No. When you move to a new location, do you still drive the same route to work? No, probably not. You keep, you keep all the same relationships? No. No, it's not possible. Moving into the new inherently means letting go of some old things. Letting go of the old place. Even letting, letting go of some old relationships. Living into the new requires us to step into the new fully. And Paul is saying, look, if you're going to leave an old life and step into a new life, there's the same principle around it. That you've got to make the commitment, you've got to pay the price, you've got to pack up the good, leave the old, and then you've got to step fully into it. Maybe it'll help to look at the same passage which I just read from a different translation. It's the message, which is more thought for thought. And sometimes it helps to look at Scripture from a different angle. So here's what it says. If we've left the country where sin is sovereign, how can we still live in our old house there? Or didn't you realize when, when we packed up and left there for good, that we left there for good? That is what happened in baptism. When we went under the water, we left the old country of sin behind. When we came up out of the water, we entered into the new country of grace, a new life in a new land. 
That's what baptism into the life of Jesus means. When we are lowered into the water, it is like the burial of Jesus. When we are raised up out of the water, it is like the resurrection of Jesus. This is why baptism is so awesome. (laughs) Baptism rocks because of this death to life, the old to new. It's a beautiful reality for us. But here's the deal. If we never leave the old, we'll struggle to live into the new. We'll struggle in our relationship with God. We'll struggle in our relationship with others. We'll not be free to live if we hang on to the old and we keep moving boxes around that we should have left behind. But when we do leave that behind, well, now we are free to live. We experience new freedom and we truly live. So let's go back to the previous translation, verse 5 in Romans 6. It says, since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. So this is when, this happens when we recognize Jesus as Savior and we receive him as Lord. Okay, that's what happens then. Then it continues on to say, we know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. We're free to live in Jesus. We're redeemed. Redeemed is a fancy word of saying bought back or bought out. It carries with it the idea of buying a slave's freedom. And so what literally happens is that Jesus buys us back. He buys us out of slavery and sets us free. And the price he paid was his own death. Continuing on into verse 7. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we die with Christ, we know we will also live with him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Listen, God purchased our freedom through Jesus. It's wonderful, but in order for us to receive that freedom, in order for us to receive that redemption, to be bought back or bought out, it requires us to do our part. We have to die, not physically, but spiritually. Consider yourselves dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ. Perhaps I can say it this way. Until we die, we never truly live. Until we die, die to self, crucify with Christ, identifying him, leave the old behind. Until we die, we never truly live. Paul lived in a society marked by slavery. But he realized that the only place to find true freedom was in Jesus Christ. But he also realized that the choice wasn't a choice of slavery or freedom, but it was a choice of slavery to the world or slavery to Jesus. And Jesus gives freedom. The world enslaves to slavery. And until we live for him, until we live under his power for his purpose and according to his plan, we will never be truly free. Until we submit to his authority and out of gratitude say, thank you, thank you, thank you, we never really live. Not free to live. At best, it's close but not quite. And until we die, we never truly live. You see, it all hinges around how we handle the self, dying to self. 
Now, I understand that the idea of following God and loving others can seem insurmountable, overwhelming. But listen, listen, the primary responsibility for us in this dynamic is to stay in constant contact and connection with God through Jesus and ensure that nothing intercepts or impedes our ability to cooperate with him. The things in our life, the, the stuff that we box up and bring that we should have just left behind, the stuff that holds us back from living out this love and living in freedom, that stuff's, we're free from that when Jesus sets us free. But we're free for one primary purpose, and that is complete devotion to our coworker. To live for him and with him and even be willing to die for him. And the truth is, until we know what we're willing to die for, we really don't know what, what to live for. In fact, there was a guy by the name of Bob Goff, who's a great kingdom ambassador. He said it this way. He said, until we know what we'd give our life for, we won't know what to give our time to. He's right. Until we know what to give our life for, we don't know how to invest in the upper part of that circuit on the easel. But authentic love leads to faithful risk and our ability to say thank you, Thank you, thank you. So what? Well, let's move our conversation to what do we do with this. See, we can be free to live because Jesus freely died. We can be free to live because Jesus freely died. And listen, you are free if Jesus is your Savior and Lord already. You are already free. The question is, are you living in that freedom? Are you living in that freedom or have you brought boxes along you should have left behind? In Galatians, it tells us that it is for freedom that Christ has set us free but then goes on to warn us and say, don't let yourselves go back under a yoke of slavery. Are you living in the freedom that Jesus provides? But keeping in mind that that freedom is not just for us to do whatever we want, but to do exactly what he created us to do, to live out our purpose and, and to say thank you, thank you, thank you along the way out of gratitude as we live for him, doing the things he prepared for us to do in advance. Paul would write in Ephesians these words, He'd say that for, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This verse right here reflected on the easel, those works are at the top. The things he prepared for us to do are at the top. He created us for love and relationship, and we need the bottom to be able to figure out the top. It's too complex at the top to try to live that out without the bottom. But by the power of the Holy Spirit and the love of God in us, we can live out our purpose in the circuit on the top. Because the top reflects the bottom, and the bottom feeds the top. We can live into that paradigm. Now here's the catch. If Jesus is truly our Lord, we don't get to decide what that is or where that is. We don't get to decide how he uses us. If he's Lord, he gets to decide that. And regardless of where he positions us and whatever he asks us to do and whoever he asks us to risk, risk with, our primary goal in that should be to live in complete devotion out of gratitude for him. That devotion piece is what matters most in the freedom that he gives. So let me ask you this question. It's a question for all of us to process. What is God asking you to do with his freedom? What is he asking you to do with his freedom today? The freedom that he provides. What's he asking you to do? Because there's really only three things to do with the freedom he gives. You receive it, live it, or give it. That's it. Receive it, live it, or give it. Here's how this plays out over here. I realize for some of you today, you're not walking in relationship with God right now. You've not been set free from the stuff that holds you back, those habits, those things that are just pulling you down, the junk in your life. And so the opportunity for you today, he's asking you to receive his freedom through Jesus Christ, 
to take a step of saying, I trust Jesus as my Lord, and therefore I choose to step in obedience, and now I get to experience more of He is, and now I understand what that love is at a greater level. He's asking you to receive the freedom that Jesus gives. You want to know how to do that in your note guide are three simple steps in a prayer. It's a simple conversation that allows you to begin to and receive that freedom and begin in a relationship where you walk the bottom part of this circuit. Your part is to trust and obey. God works out the rest. He does the rest. It's that choice to trust and step in obedience. And I realize some of you today are actually going to take this seriously because you've had enough. Like, I'm sick of this. I want to be free to live. I'm tired of the slavery. I'm tired of the boxes I carry around. I want to be free. And you're going to step into that. So I wanna, we want to put up the prayer on the screen. For those of you that are ready and wanting to take that next step, you can pray that prayer right where you're at and you can do that. But I realize for others across our network today, what God's asking you to do with his freedom is to live in it because you're not. You may know Jesus as Lord and Savior and you made that decision, but you've got this habit, you've got an unhealthy relationship, an unhealthy behavior that just got you stuck. You've been carrying a box around that he wants you to get rid of. And you need to live in the freedom. Maybe it's freedom from shame, freedom from regret. He wants you to live in it, not squander it, but to live in it. And then as you live in it, to be able to give it. Because I realize for some of you today, he's positioned you in a place to risk in relationship with somebody else. But out of fear of what that risk might bring, you have withheld that love. And it's not really love at all. And he's asking you to give his love. Maybe because you're a parent to your kids. Maybe to your spouse, to your boss, a neighbor. He's asking you to give his love. Think about it this way. Perhaps you're a parent and God is asking you, having received his freedom, to live in his freedom where you have a behavior in your life that you learned from your parents. You have a habit, maybe even addiction, that is a generational thing. And he's asking you to live in freedom so you can give that freedom to your kids, the next generation, where you draw a line in the sand and say, I'm done. We're going to be free to live. And you're the one that lives in that freedom and gives that freedom by his power at work in you. Maybe you've got a neighbor, someone down the street where there's a, there's a project and he wants you to go and risk with them and serve them and give in a way that helps. Maybe, maybe it's a single mom who you're going to buy some food and diapers and just go hang out with them and get to know them so you learn to love them and you can serve them even more out of that. Perhaps it's a work dynamic for some of you. where you got a boss who has not demonstrated love for you or to you. And what God is asking you today is to extend freedom to, through forgiveness. To love them, even if they never acknowledge it, they'll still experience it. Ha, what is God asking you to do with this freedom? Because authentic love leads to faithful risk. Now, for those of you that are at that receive moment, and maybe you, made, maybe you prayed that prayer while I kept talking, that's awesome. I want you to know, once you receive your next step of obedience is baptism. Baptism and belief are connected in Scripture. And if you're someone who believes in Jesus but have never been baptized, that should become your highest priority of obedience. Because if you haven't stepped into that obedient action of baptism, you're missing a piece of your relationship with God. And it doesn't matter if you received Jesus a long time ago or even recently. The next step of obedience is to step into the waters of baptism. And there's lots of reasons why we get baptized. If you want to read some details on the back of your note guide, but let me just identify four things of, of why this is significant. You see, baptism is us going public in our faith. It's us putting on the uniform. It's us saying, look, I, I've made an internal decision, but this is my external declaration of that I am free to live, that Jesus is my Lord and Savior. There's that public reality. The second thing is that it is an obedient action. 
We're supposed to step into baptism after we make a decision to acknowledge Jesus as Savior and receive him as Lord. In fact, that's just the third reality. It comes after salvation. It is not salvation. It is a symbol of what we've, what's happened internally as we take that next step in publicly declaring it. And beyond that, it's a powerful thing. It's a powerful thing to be reminded. It's that powerful thing is that we die to the old self, but we come alive in him. That, de- that old life is now dead, but our new life is redeemed and resurrected. It's a beautiful, powerful thing. And those of you who experience baptism, you know it. You've seen how it's changed your relationship with God. So here's my thing. Listen, if you're someone who needs to make the decision to receive Jesus as Savior and Lord, or to, to step obediently into baptism because you've never done that before, today's a great day to be free to live. Today's a great day to do that. Even if you're unprepared to do it, you can pray that prayer, have that conversation, and receive new life in Jesus. And we're prepared to walk with you in taking that next step into baptism. In fact, in a moment, I'm going to pray. And I encourage you, if you have felt the Holy Spirit, God just prompting you, say, look, step out with me. Step out with me. Leave that old behind. Step into the freedom. Be free to live out of my love. I encourage you to head to the back of your worship space across our network and talk with the leader because they're prepared to help you take some next steps. But regardless of where you're at, until we die, we never truly live. So what is God asking you to do with his freedom today? Would you join me as we pray and prepare to step back into worship through song and through baptisms across our network? Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, I thank you that it is through Jesus that we have life and life to the full. I thank you that you sent him, that he lived and died and rose again. And because of his death and his resurrection, our lives, the brokenness, the the junk of our life, that stuff can be buried and dead and we can be redeemed and resurrected in a new spiritual life. So, Father, I pray that as my brothers and sisters across our network process through what you're asking them to do with your freedom, the freedom you offer through Jesus, I pray that we would all respond boldly, whether it's to receive it or to live in it or even to give it. May we not be fearful. May we, may we be willing to let your love be given to us and through us. And may we be willing to die to self. Identifying ourselves in Jesus and by the power that raised him from the dead, you empower us to live for you. So Jesus, as we take these next few moments to worship and celebrate, I thank you and praise you. May you receive all glory, honor, and praise because it is you who we worship. We love you. We pray these things in your strong and mighty name. And everybody said, amen.